Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil mursaleen. Sayyidina wa nabiyina wa maulana Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is uh, the Isnad Academy podcast and our host in studio is none other than maulana Khalil Hendricks and Malina Zakaria Hanika, كيف حالكم؟ بخير الحمد لله. انتم؟ ابي اوست كيس. Did I say host? Yeah. Guest. Um because Malina Zakaria is kind of a, a host not just a guest. He's kind of part of the furniture. Yeah? So um be that as it may we're not here for our own little uh tafakkur that we usually do. We're actually here because Malina Khalil has uh, headed up the institute the organization called um Mizan Institute i think it was Mizan from the from the get go right no no it's no, with no. uh, saturday intensive no okay we'll get there inshallah but be that as it may mulana khalil is also a uh, a community scholar uh, in uh, well a scholar in the community of cape town rather community scholar might be something else and um now i'm going to ask you our rapid fire questions even though um mona zakaria is also here i think the answers to the rapid fire questions mona zakaria would know um i think the, the audience would know from mona zakaria without me asking him so i think we'll start off with you mona khalil um now tell us uh, a bit about yourself inshallah we'll start off with that but like very brief because i'm going to ask you more questions uh very briefly um i think people know me introduce themselves by the careers but i'll first say that uh, uh married to uh, one wife alhamdulillah mashallah uh, <laughs> four, four kids three daughters and a son alhamdulillah and uh, busy in the community with a number of different institutes projects and so on bismillah no. okay that is uh, sweet and short now uh i know this is a, it's a bit of a difficult question to kind of ask and to be asked but i'm going to ask it anyways and make of it what you want but what is currently your favorite or most uh intriguing surah of the quran i i think that uh i normally at mizan i normally teach surah al-fatiha uh, most of the years and uh what has surprised me that every year when i've like read more about it like you just discover more about it and uh and i think that for me is like uh, you know it's like uh umul uh, quran it's like you know it's the it's really the foundation and every time i teach it every year the more i see comes out of it i was actually teaching it uh, the weekend past and just like more things just just stand out every single time no give us give us give us one of the jewels because the next question is actually the the most outstanding verse or uh, set of verses that you take lesson from these days i think that the what i was emphasizing in in the last lesson was the iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in and there's many many things about the fatiha and we taught over about 10 11 hours no. of the fatiha but i was just thinking because we we busy with aqidah as well and this whole idea of uh, identity identity politi- politics postmodernism constructivism and that is just solved by iyyaka na'budu you mm. know it's it's just simply solved in in one word there's your identity mm. you know there's, there's there's no constructivism you're not constructive as some free thing you you're an abd 
and then the other thing so that's like almost like one issue settled I don't think you trans- I don't think you translated it yeah, yeah. Okay. so you you alone Allah we two things we worship and we also in a state of ubudiyah no. we in the state of slavehood because you are rob and you are rob we abd so we are our nature is not by default free our nature mm. is that we are abd and therefore we live under your authority mm. and that for me is the answer to all the essence of all postmodern questions of all confusion about identity mm. uh, and then the other thing which was interesting for me was i think the this is kind of the modern question and the previous question was like the philosophy of science no. like the relationship between cause and effect and and, and knowledge and and for me wa iyyaka nasta'in and you alone do we seek for seek help help is basically an effect mm. so in that we also in a sense um affirming our aqida that the cause is from Allah and the effect is from Allah so those two those two positional statements solves the postmodern question and solves the philosophy of science problem mm. and for me that was just like stunning because as you read more in other sciences you see the answers mm. in the fatiha and that's just one example of you know of of many many things in every verse that just is amazing no no Uh, this, I was this, look at this next question is kind of a waste of time because it it has to do with what is your favorite drink, but uh, Allah, I, don't, Allah. I, I don't think there's any, you know, you, you might just smack me if I ask that question because it, you know, it's so obvious. Yeah, but it also depends on the time of the day. Okay, it's here. So uh, <clears throat> generally, the drink of the morning is a is a is a flat white. Okay. Uh, the drink of the late afternoon is a five roses tea, and the drink of the evening is a. Is rooibos tea with milk? Okay, that's yeah. interesting. So uh, it depends on the time of day. Mine, mine is completely different. Uh, it, it's black coffee in the morning, either pour over or Aeropress. I haven't done the the mocha pot in a long time, so it's either pour over or Aeropress. Then the three cups after that in the morning is um, flat white. Not three, maybe like two at most after that. Um, is a flat white and then for the rest of the day it's soda water subhanallah yeah this question is so spiritual I was going to break out into song now and just say ya saqi al-koob ishrab wasqini you can go for it break yeah, out no, into song <laughs> no I'm just joking my favorite drink of choice mm. uh, I think it's water is it yeah I like coffee super lot though do you drink a lot of water think so well i don't drink juice and i don't drink anything fruit flavored so it's either tea which i'll have maybe once in a day coffee which i'll have once in a day or cold drink huh. which i like know is bad yeah no i don't do I, i alhamdulillah i finally moved away from cold drink completely like i'm first initially i moved to uh what you call this thing like zero cold drink zero calorie cold drink and that was like for a long time i just stuck with that And then Mullah Muhammad, he drank it once and he showed such disgust in his face that I thought, nah, I can't possibly drink it after that. So I turned <laughs> away from that also. <laughs> But alhamdulillah. Okay, so coffee coffee in the morning, uh, all around. Um, oh yes, Mullah's favorite exercise. My favorite exercise. Um, Not activity, no. this is like... Actual physical exercises <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> uh, actual physical. Ex- I actually started gymming with with uh, Ziad Solomon recently. Nice, and, That's uh, hardcore. Sure, I, I I I lie for like 10 minutes after he leaves, <laughs> just to recover. 
Lying down is not the physical exercise, man. That's just the recovery. Horizontal running. That's just the recovery. Um, but uh, I don't think any of them are my favorite. Uh, but I, I think maybe punching the bag is probably like my favorite thing. Mm. That's probably like the most enjoyable. Mullen's got a lot of uh, frustrations there, mashallah. Um, nah, shadow boxing is also really good for people who want to get some extra energy out. I think also because like it's exercise plus skill. Nah, which I think I enjoy. Mm. Okay, but now look the the major question of the or the major topic of this particular uh, discussion is about the Mizan Institute. Uh, take us back quickly to your own your own exposure to Arabic studies and Islamic studies, where that all began, because obviously. It's your own journey and then it culminates into you opening up this institute that's also kind of now part of who you are and uh, your journey. So where did this all begin? Take us way so, back to the 1940s. Yeah, so I think many of the students have heard the stories. So uh, I think in brief, uh, growing up, my parents were really like into spirituality and uh, Quran and Dekir and so on. So the, the, that's always where the seed is planted uh, no. from the beginning. And then uh, when I was at university so I went to Plumstead High and then went to university did a business science degree and in my third year I went on my first overseas trip uh, my parents took me took all the, the kids to Egypt and Morocco so like you know first time overseas you land in Egypt Fajr time like it's just no. it's like magical it's like overwhelming go to Morocco and I think from then I like fell in love with like Arab, the Arab world Arab culture just it just like had a lasting effect so I think that was like the first seed. From there, uh, finished university, went to work in Johannesburg, a uh, couple of years. Uh, corporate life, normal corporate life. Uh, those of listeners who know what that's about, long hours, but uh, good perks, good life, but uh, always something missing. Mm. And so I think after about four years working in Johannesburg, I thought, no, I didn't... Uh, there's something more to life than this. And then I decided to go to Syria. I don't even know why I went there because I, I didn't know anybody there. Mm. So I just booked a one-year ticket, one-year return wow. ticket. And uh, I just went to Syria. I can't remember why. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know. I, for some reason I went there. Was it a one-year return or just a one-way and then with the intention of coming back later? No, an actual one-year return. Yes, I know. Yes. Yeah, because I think, I think in that days you couldn't book one way. It was like 2005. It's you know, next level. You know, so it's like one year return ticket. And then um, and then I went to study in Syria for a year. Uh, beautiful experience. Mm. Like you, Mona, did you go with the intention of studying? or Studying, yes. Okay. Actually, I forgot uh, the year after my parents took me to, to Egypt. The no. next year I went in summer to Egypt for about two, three, two months and just did some very, very basic Arabic Okay. Um, but then this time, yeah, I went for the intention of studying Arabic. Not like Islamic studies, really. I was more into the Arab culture mm. kind of aspect that was like the cool, not cool, but it appealed to me. Mm. It appealed to me. Then I went it's to Syria. It's like different and ori not oriental. That's such a racist term. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's I, different and it was like no, exquisite and exotic and that type of thing. Also, I think I felt at home. Yeah, okay. Like you feel at home. And, mm. Like I felt at home with the Arab culture. Like this is like my people right <laughs> i mean like my actual people and then i think when i went to syria syria was 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 magical and i, and I think that uh, syria there isn't a, a replica of it in, anyway mm. it's that 
almost like that perfect infusion between. Well, some people say like a small part of Turkey is kind of like. Because like the Syrians are there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, it's a, that replica, it's an infusion of knowledge and like spirituality and a very old culture. I think Damascus is like 3,000 years mm. has been continuously inhabited and stuff. So I spent a year there. It was good to do some Arabic studies and and traveled a bit around the Middle East, backpacked and so on. And then I came back because I didn't have enough money and I wanted to find a wife. You know, it goes. And then uh, <laughs> I came back and I worked for a year. And then uh, I... Why didn't you... Why didn't you... No, I don't think I can ask that. Why didn't I find a certain wife? I, I, I didn't ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might just get into trouble for asking that question. So I'd answers, rather stop myself. Answers of all the different plans for me. <laughs> <laughs> a wise man, mashallah. <laughs> you said you gave him nothing but that wisdom. <laughs> Allah, Allah. So when I came back and then uh, I I worked here for a year and uh, I used to live in Plums at the time. No. And then I happened to find myself at Castle Town Masjid, Darunaim. Um, and I I uh, actually saw Mala Zakaria give a khutbah, Zakaria Falanda. And I was quite like uh, touched by his khutbah. And then I also met some students there. And I was like fascinated by these students quoting Quran and like talking about Quran and like it was, it was interesting to me. I, like like who are you? Where do you come from? Mm. And then I met Mona Ali and Subhanallah Mona Ali has his own magnetism and appeal. And so I think I spent Etikaf there, if I remember correctly, uh, that year. And then I decided to um, study Darunaim. Just the environment was a beautiful environment mm. and. Uh, so I spent one year there, I did a bit of first year and second year. What I actually did was I actually fo- followed Mon Ali around. So when he was, he was in first year, I went to first year, and when he was in second year, I went to second year. So I just basically followed him around. And then from there, I went to Strand. Um, and when I went to Strand in my third year, and then I started what is, was then called Darun Naim Saturday Intensive. When Saturday is at that. Yeah. Darun Naim Saturday Intensive. So that is the the beginning of uh, of what is now Mizan. Sure. I think well before that, you taught at the Darun Naim part time class. Yes, yes, yes. Before That's actually where we meet. Yes, yes, yes. I taught at the Darun Naim uh, part time evening evening program. I taught some students at the home as well. Um, was I teaching there at the time? I don't. Well, that was after me. No, no. The evening class. I think when we started, it was. Uh, you and Salim, well, Salim, Salim Pick and me, right? And then I think you left, and then Mullah Khalil joined. Ah, okay. Mm. I did some TTI, and which was playing for a while as well. No, um, and I was there as well. Yeah, before I think all the rites of passage oh. <laughs> you had to go through. <laughs> we we have small circles. <laughs> yes, 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 we've got very small circles, mashallah. Okay, then. Um, so the first thing that I want to know is, look, you were, you were like a very eccentric Darunaim student because you didn't come from Darunaim. You brought with you like other flavors. It was like, okay, what flavor is this? And it was that, you know, typical traditional Syrian uh, cultural type of vibe that you that you brought along with you. And it's it's distinct. I mean, you can if you if you've been in the game long enough, you can kind of recognize it from far, the type of kufiyas the people wear, you know, the type of thobes they wear and so on. Um so, so you carried that with you from the time you were in Syria uh, initially. Is that correct? 
Yes, yes. I think Serbia has that deep spirituality, mm. um, and, uh, and 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 that spiritual like like you, Sheikh Yaqubi was there. I used to have listened with him. I met uh, <clears throat> Sheikh Nuham Minkala. A few uh, I went to Zawiya as well, and uh, he wasn't in Syria. He was in Jordan. Yeah. Uh, he teach Sheikh Shahuri was from from Syria, and um, and I think you, you you kind of you you kind of carry that identity. Mm. Uh, with you, your Jalabiya, your Subha, and, and so on. But I mean, that's just the outer manifestation. The, the inner thing was actually just about being a student of Deen and being from the Dakirin or trying to be from the Dakirin. That was the kind of attempt. Yeah. Um, and to find that kind of harmony between the two um, was beautiful. Because I think like Tasov always had this like question about it. Mm. And in Syria, there was no question because it was ulama who were in Tasawuf. Mm. So there's no question about legitimacy, authenticity, because there's enough proof for everything mm. and so on. So yeah. that's the, the background. That uh, That is kind of a very overwhelming feeling when you when you are among the Muslims and there is, you know, a, a traditional vibe and you, you gain a lot of confidence in your, in your understanding, your practice of the tradition and tradition in general. Not because anybody is telling you, you know, something new, but just because it becomes sort of normalized to you. You see the scholars, you 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 attend the Adhkar programs, and it's just the norm. Children know it. And and I must say, since my daughter into since my daughter started at Gudri, she's now like fully <laughs> like the whole talamash and like with the, all the wrong words but the tune is there and the drums beating and so on and so on so it, it, it's nice it's nice mashallah so uh, then you you started Darun Naim Saturday Intensive give us a bit of an intro maybe Mona Zakaria can can give us an intro to what the philosophy is behind the school what's the objective of the of the organization so the first year of Darun Naim Saturday Intensive was um, it was a follow-on from the, the, the part-time class that we were teaching at Tarunayim at the time. We saw we recognized the need for that. But initially, the Saturday intensive class was Mona Khalil started alone. Mm. Um, and I think during that year when he couldn't make it, then he asked me to stand in for him. Uh, and then the following year, that's when I actually joined, uh, you know, like being there every week. So um, the idea was making the Qur'an in the Arabic language, accessible to ordinary people who didn't have the idea of becoming full-time students of Deen uh, at a time that was convenient to them um, and uh, packaged in a way that would be, you know, uh, consumable mm. easily. Uh, at that time, the policy was generally non-intrusive, no, no focus on exams, no picking out students in the class and things like that. Mm. Um, and I think in the in the first year, it was basically taking the content of the Darunayim syllabus uh, that was done in the full-time and that had been done over three years in the part-time class over there and then transplanting that onto one day a week on a Saturday instead of three one-hour classes at night, a three-hour session on a Saturday. Mm. Um, that's how it started. Uh, but it, it developed its own identity after yes. that. Uh, different flavor different thrust, different, uh, it's its own personality. Mm. But I think it's important to mention also that uh, I think one of the main reasons most of us started this institute so because of Mawanda Ali, mm. uh, may Allah protect him and preserve yeah. him. I mean. And, uh, and 
he's really one of, for me, he's one of the renewers of faith in Cape Town. Even though he might not be, like, you know, as known as maybe other figures, but his, his effect is profound. And um, I, I think a, a good teacher beyond teaches you, they also inspire you. And I remember my Daruna Emir from the the boys' side. Everybody everybody became Ulama Bawan. Mashallah. The whole class. Mullah Abdul Razak was there, the Yahya brothers were there, Mullah Siraj was there. Um, uh, everybody became Ulama, Bawan. Mashallah. And the Ajay. one is still involved in, in Khidma of, da, khidma of Deen. So, so, so that was like, that was just purely Mullah Ali's inspiration mm-hmm. and you you know when you when you when you when you attend Darunaim and you get this you want to share this with everybody. Right. And um and I think also one of the things was that I, I also uh, because of my corporate background and it was a part time class, um most people are working and they're working in an environment that I came from. So I like fully understood where they're at. Right. Like mentally where they're at, in terms of worldview mm. where they're at, the challenges every day where they're at. And the positioning of the class was trying to kind of meet their specific mm. uh, needs. So that was kind of the target, that, that that evolved to become the, the main target audience. So how would you describe, like in, in one sort of sentence, how would you describe what the objective of uh, Mizan Institute is? The objective is... Um, I think there's, I think we have like a slogan or whatever you call it. Uh, the first thing is, I think, uh, not the first, not in particular order, but I think the one thing is uh, challenging minds in terms of an appreciation that Islam is a deep and rich intellectual tradition mm. that has answers for you. And then the second one is about moving hearts, that Islam is a, a lived experience, mm. uh, not something just that is a set of beliefs. It's something mm. which is lived. And then the third part of it is uh, living ihsan, that that intellectual uh, heritage of Islam and that spiritual movement has to result in outward ihsan. Mm. And I think those are the kind of the three pillars of of the approach of the pedagogy. Nice, nice. Um, I'm always fascinated by these these uh, these frameworks that institutes build themselves on. You know, it's, it's 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 something that a lot of thought goes into and it, yeah, mashallah. Like for example, Darul Mustafa, they've got the, the ilm and then they've got da'wah and they've got tazkiyah. And those are the fundamental principles that keeps them driving in that particular direction and it's it's nice. Yes, um, yes. And also the, the, the name also Mizan is the idea of balance. Actually, I think the name was actually uh, was suggested that, by yeah. Monaria Saruji. Ah, okay. I was asking for names and he gave me a list of names and, I, and that one stood out. And uh, being Molata students, I think that is... Uh, that name is kind of from Molata's legacy, the idea of things in balance, things yeah. in perspective. Uh, mm. So that's... Tamam. Okay, so now that is the formal, you know, like the on paper, on the pamphlet type of description. But in reality, on the ground, as, you know, somebody who's been part of the organization for a very long time, I was a Sutisha there for some time um, during the, the pandemic, especially. But um, on the ground the vibe, the culture, the ethos. Um, explain it. Just give us, give the person who's never heard of this, they're from another country listening to this podcast, watching this podcast, just tell them what what has been um, cultivated in this place now called uh, the Mizan Institute. Is that question that you me? Yes. 
I'm thinking it's probably best to to ask okay. somebody that's you know <laughs> not the owner, <laughs> the founder. No, um, the, the the culture around it is there's a lot of uh, people um, of varying ages. Mm. There's one or two maybe high school age students, uh, but by and large there's either university students, um, young professionals. That's probably the majority, and then some uh, people who are older than that. Mm. And some people we call the chairman, um, mashallah. But the environment that gets created by having, you know, that synthesis of people there is that uh, you have people from all walks of life um, who have experience and others who have less experience but are, you know, treading down the same path, engaging with one another, you know, creating relationships, mm. but founded on the common desire to learn the Quran. Mm. Uh, to attain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so there's a there's a sense of like a community uh, experience being in the class being in the environment COVID uh, did um, you know throw a bit of a spanner in the works but before that uh, the masjid was booming with students um, like Mount Masjid is where we've been and, and, and oftentimes all of the rooms in the masjid would be like full mm. um, so there was a a hub of activity there, lots of people, people engaging with each other, building real relationships and like in sync with their real life. Man. Mm. Um, not coming out of the working environment, whatever the case may be, um, but in sync with that, they would come once a week to this place where there's a focus on imparting the Quran via the Arabic language, mm. but a strong focus on shaping an Islamic worldview uh, through that whole process. And um, I think it just created, I don't know the correct words to put into, but I think it created a really nice environment, mm. uh, community of brotherhoods where people could uh, interact with each other, create lasting relationships and interact with their faith, mm. uh, you know, in real time. And, um, and actually have a slow process of change that's lasting in their lives mm. that made their lives more focused on Allah. Mm. So, yeah. SubhanAllah. Look here, in the uh, full-time programs, programs, if I can call it that, like, say, Darun Naim, <coughs> Zahra, uh, any full-time organization or institute based on Islam, one generally finds profound changes in people's lives. Like, uh, I think all of us can relate. Um, it's changes that you can literally see before your own eyes. They change the way they dress. They change the, the feelings they have. They change their passions. They, they grow facial hair in the case of men. You know, things like that. So, really profound changes. Um, and it makes sense also because all the, the right components are there. You have, uh, you have film, so that's your guidance. You have the environment, you know, all of those things play a role. Um, I've always found part-time uh, learning at this level to be challenging. Challenging for a number of, of reasons. Um, initially, it was challenging because of the frequency, right? So it's just not enough time spent with the text, with uh, with the, the, the concepts to learn a new language. But that's just one of the challenges. The other challenges, of course, people are not spending time in the environment of learning and teaching and having teachers around them uh, as much as full-time students do. So 
with all of those challenges, my question is, do you find that in your experience, students are still able, despite the part-time nature of the course, to make such profound changes uh, in their lives? So I think maybe just to kind of paint the picture of the class first, uh, the class is in the masjid for those who don't know, no. and then there's males and females both attend. And I think that uh, for listeners who are not familiar, it's a, it's an Arabic program which empowers the learner to understand the Quran directly in the Arabic language. Mm. So it's not like a set of lectures you come to, Quran lectures. Mm. The learner is working and trying to learn Arabic and trying to, it's like an active engagement. No. Um, so it's like, in a sense, like let's call it skills-based or competency-based. Mm. And because it has that kind of, it requires the learners to work every week and to do homework and to keep keep up with it. Mm. If you miss a few classes, it's very easy to, to drop out. So what yeah. we found out is that there's actually quite a number of learners drop out just because you can't just plug in and plug out an Arabic program. You literally have to be quite consistent with, yeah. your, with your work. So to answer your question, I think those learners who stick with the program, meaning what that they actually are committed and they, and they come regularly, um, we have seen like profound changes. Some mm. of them have been kind of six, seven years wow. um, at the Institute. Um, and what we've done, especially pre-COVID, is that we've had a lot of supplementary activities. Like we've had some camps and we have the Kiyamulel evenings and uh, supplementary activities to build that kind of connection and social bonds. And those are also in the Etika program, which is like a full 10-day program. So all of those programs together have, have helped to, to cement it. And, and I think that, um, I, I think that even in keeping with the name, the idea is that, yes, it's, let's call it a gateway institute for those. Some of them might start there and then might end up going full time mm. for some. But for those who don't, it becomes a lifestyle. Mm. Meaning like, I'm going to be a Sunday, this is my time with the Quran for the next six, seven, eight, ten years. Mm. It's a lifestyle that I'm going to live. And it's like my spiritual replenishment. No. And and I think that that is the positioning of the Institute, is that you, there's no rush. There's no rush to finish. There's, you are here to engage with the Quran uh, every Sunday. And this is going to be... And, and I think that's how the students who, who stick with it, they feel that and they... And they experience those changes mm. but uh, it's also a program where you have to work as well right so it's not just you come and you listen and you fall asleep you you're working doing homework doing research mm. you know you you know Arabic goes the, the students that are still there like after like you said seven years um, are they still challenged do they still grow or is it just like you know carrying along like is there is there room for people to remain like this is my place that I come to now for the rest of my life Yes, so I, I think that um, on one level, I, I think the the teachers have grown. Like if I think how we used to teach in our first year, because yeah. <laughs> when we we started the institute, we, we were students. We were, right. we were we were. I was a third year student. Mozakaria was probably I don't know. I think I was at US campus school. at the time. No, I think it went down. Went to second year down name or first. I, I can't. No, no. Second year down name was when we started the part time class. It was. Uh, 2012, I think. Where, where were you then? 2012. I was at campus. I was in... Oh, so you finished Aruna Im, but you didn't do Ayat. I finished Aruna Im. I wasn't yet at the way. Yes, yes, yes. So so basically, both of us were basically second-year Aruna Im students. Right. So obviously, we've... You know, naturally, you've grown over the years. So your engagement in class have grown. But I, I think that we are aware that students might not get challenged. And I think that next year, we are 
introducing quite a big change to the program. Oh, is it? Is that uh, next year, inshallah, we're planning to split the program uh, for the advanced, the third year up students. So it will be 50% Quran and 50% Islamic sciences. Right. Um, simply because we find ourselves coming to an ayah and unpacking a science. Right. Because you come to an ayah now, there's a bab in aqidah you must do now. Right. Or, you know, or ulum al-Quran. Yeah. It just becomes like that continuous uh, flow of things. So we're going comp- to change the program, basically. Mm. That it will be a, a, a first-year program, which is basic Arabic and Quran. Second-year program is intermediate Arabic and Quran. Then your Dawra year is about, say, four to five years. It's 50% Quran and about 13 sciences you'll do. MashaAllah. So that will happen. Nice. I think another thing that added that uh, constant development uh, is the flavor that different teachers bring to the course mm. as well. So you see in front of yourself, Mullah Khalil and, and me. But um, they've, over the years, there have been many other ulama that have taught at Mizan Institute. Mullah no. Muhammad Ka, Sheikh Ismail Lant was there for a time. Mullah Riyad Saluji, you were there for a time. Mullah Irshad, Mullah Yahya Mahdi. Mullah Yazid as well. Mala Yazid has been there, Mala Abdullah. Um, so, and then there's at times Mala Ali would come and speak to the students, etc. Mm. So, uh, that bouquet of, of, of different teachers also adds to the, uh, you know, the captivating nature of the course. And I think if you allow me to just add something yeah, you know, about the, you know, the ability to create change through a once a week class. Mm. You know, I think there's, there's different options. There's some people who study full-time for a long period of time. Mm. And then because of the circles that that creates in their lives, you know, their whole lifestyle and their circles get changed on account of that. Mm. And then you get students that go to one year or two years full-time. And that can have a profound impact. It does actually oftentimes have a profound impact. But the sustainability of that requires that they supplement that Mm. with with something else afterwards. No. And too often have I seen people that have done that, but not put things in place for what comes after that. Mm. And then, you know, the benefit of that to some degree uh, dissipates. Mm. Um, Whereas having a once a week thing over a protracted period of time, um, I would argue that it, it, it could be more beneficial. Mm. Um, not, not, not to put one against the other. I mean, no, of course. all of these institutions are valuable. It's just, mm. you know, one of the things that you have to keep in mind when doing a short full-time course mm. is that you have to put measures in place to sustain that. Mm. No, absolutely. Um, I, love the, I love the idea of, of being lifelong students, man, because that's what we really have to be. I genuinely consider myself a student, like a student student. And and I don't have the opportunities that I perhaps once had in terms of uh, spending spending what would be considered full time with teachers. But I take whatever facilities I have at my disposal, whether it be, you know, private sort of one-on-one readings with people or now we, in the information age, you can access lectures. Like I started, I started um, listening to the lecture series by Dr. Hamza Bakri on, um, which one was it now? <clears throat> He's got a few. I chose to start with, uh, with. Uh, no, no, no. Oh. I, I was thinking about Shar- that one. Al-Qaid. So I decided on Sharh Al-Qaid. I did the first lecture. But anyway, the point is. I wonder if I get the reward for that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, you all definitely, mashallah. Allah grant you all that reward. Um, 
so so I mean that's it's a facility it's there yeah. but even before that I mean <clears throat> there were times where I would ask Sheikh Ibrahim uh, Moas for example if I could come and read to him uh, or maybe with Malam Abdurrahman uh, with Malam Muhammad I'm always busy you know doing things and so on but I really genuinely consider myself a student for the rest of my life I mean there's no like okay now you are called a Mawlana therefore you no it doesn't work like that and uh, I like the, the the idea of people accepting that as the identity, man. Yeah. Like not looking that, okay, we're going to graduate after two years and then we're done learning now. I mean, it doesn't really work like that. So that atmosphere, that vibe of uh, reading books to teachers and, you know, finishing books like again and again and again, uh, that type of culture, it would be great for us to have that type of culture here where it becomes a norm for students to go and read to teachers um, from the general public as well. I think also, you know, one of the benefits of being in a class, n- not necessarily Mizan alone, mm. any, any, any of these part-time classes, mm. is that, you know, in your life, you have easy access to Islamic scholarship. Um, and having that guiding hand or that person that you can ask Islamic questions to or you can ask, you know, we don't, I don't position myself as a, you know, a sheikh like that or anything, but... Uh, you know, perhaps there is something in terms of information about Islamic things that I can offer to a student. Um, and there's even more that Mullah Khalil and, and others could offer to them. Having that access to Islamic uh, knowledge, it's, it's, it's very important mm. in, 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 in having doubts removed, uh, framing things correctly, uh, you know, creating the means for conviction no, in your life. You need That's guidance. Yeah. You need guidance. You need access to guidance. And unfortunately, the sources of people's guidance have become the self-help genre and YouTube videos and so on. I'm not saying that's necessarily yeah. bad, but you can't, you can't as a Muslim have your whole life be guided without any influence from Islam whatsoever, yeah. man. I mean, you could argue, yeah, but look here, you can get the same thing from James Clear Atomic Habits that you can from the Sunnah. I would say uh, you can get some of the practical aspects, no, no, perhaps, you can't, you can't get the but most you important. can never get the, the essence of it, man, no. the ruh of it. It's, it's coming from a different place. Yeah. Like somebody was saying, and I agree entirely, uh, the world has, you know, self-help, but you don't see a help others you know, a help others section, man. Yeah. Whereas Islam teaches you, for example, that if you help others, Allah will help you. So don't stop focusing so much on yourself, yeah. really. But anyway, um, my... Well, also just to mention, before you, the next question is, also, I think also part of the, the sustainability is that we come from a, uh, we come from close communities, mm. historically speaking. Mm. And now we've moved into, let's call it nuclear families. Mm. That there's no, there's no neighbor, the neighborliness is gone, basically. Mm. And I, and I think that there's also been a a diversification in the Muslim community's identity. Mm. Meaning what? That there's not, uh, like if you, if you rewind 50 years ago, the average Muslim was more the same. Mm. They had the same beliefs, the same imam at the, at the masjid, the same practices. Now we have this diversification. So even if you have a Muslim neighbor, you might be on very different ends of the spectrum. Mm. And, and I think that that uh, these classes, wherever they may be, um, they also create important social spaces mm. because people need friends. You yeah. need people that have similar interests. But now it's not just your neighbor because you, you, it's like random. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to end up being the person at work, the person you play soccer with on yeah. a weekend. Yes, yes. And that's not necessarily going to be a good person for you yeah. to be spending more time with. So many many people come in and found lifelong friends. If I think of our Mizan Khidmatim. Yeah. 
I mean, nice. they f- they found life lifelong friends, and then from there also, Alhamdulillah, we've now working on Gutri. No. So now the kids are also part of a, a community. So I think the idea is also beyond classes is 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 community. rebuilding community, mm. social bonds, but it's done on the the common interest of Islam, basically mm. nice. commitment to Islam. Excellent, mashallah. I have a question about. Uh, the current situation, the current state of affairs as far as classes are concerned, my observations are not too good, right? And I'm hoping that yeah. it's it, it's just a stumbling block that our community is kind of going through. But it doesn't, if I'm honest, it doesn't look like that. It looks like it's kind of become the new normal. Uh, in that, what, you know, in-person classes are far less uh, in terms of numbers now than it was before COVID. Um, and I'm not only saying this from the perspective of my own classes, I've also observed others, you know, where classes were once like overflowing. Yeah. Now it's not. Um, and in Cape Town, we had a buzzing community of classes happening. Man. And it's a community because you had organizations, you had scholars, you had Masajid, you had Madaris, etc. And everybody's running stuff. And amazingly, everything is full. Cool. And there were paid events, paid classes. In other words, they, they charge. And then there were also free events. And But everything was full. Yeah. And uh, even with the paid stuff, there was always like, you know, negotiation type of thing where people knew that it wasn't like hard breast. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so now I'm seeing that, look, I understand, man, we, we were now exposed to a life that is possible in the digi- uh, digital space, but uh, are people now saying that this is... No, man, no, no. you know, we've seen the same phenomena at, uh, at Mizan. Um, the numbers after COVID, and especially the in-person numbers, mm. it's, 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 it's pales in comparison to what it was before. No. And inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it increase uh, to that level and more. But I think, you know, there's a delusion Mm. around what technology is capable of providing you. Mm. Um, Yes, we we have, uh, I mean, people can can, can stream our classes. We have a fully online offering. Mm. We try to make everything available. But I know, I know that that student that joins online is not getting what the student that comes into the class gets. Absolutely. And, you, you know, just to give you an example, you know, if you're sitting behind your screen with your mic muted and everybody else's mic's muted, mm. there may be somebody having a spiritual opening next to you. Mm. Uh, like, had you been sitting in the class physically? And uh, they perhaps are affected by something mm. and they start shedding tears. That, the presence of that hal, that state next to you mm. can affect your own state. No. But you cut yourself off from that. Mm. You cut yourself off from, you know, okay, maybe that I shouldn't say that, but I know, from the, the glance of your sheikh. Mm. And in that moment, perhaps, you know, he's looking at the person with a, with a, you know, with an eye of dua. Mm. Um, there's something lost in that. Mm. It's not real. No. Um, it's, it's not real. Man. Mm. And I also, yeah, also I think that, uh, that uh, the challenge is real. But I think the duty of the ulama is to provide those classes, whether five people come or 500 people come. Yeah. Uh, I think our duty is that uh, those classes need to be restarted mm. as they were before. Mm. And whoever comes, comes, doesn't come, doesn't come, but that's the duty. Mm. 
And, uh, and look, I, I sat in a situation now. We started the classes and it was, it was kind of, I was hopeful. We started a, a marriage and divorce class based in the Shafi Madhab at the Mabre Masjid. This was before we went to Turkey. And it was fairly surprisingly well attended for, for Mowbray, considering it's not a residential area, it's a small masjid, uh, people don't like driving far at night, a plethora of, of other excuses. Still, we, we had regular attendees. Um, I don't know, perhaps the course went on a bit too long, but there was eventually a point where um, another teacher stood in for me, and uh, it was literally that teacher, the masjid chairman, and the, the guy helping with the, with the live stream. Everybody else was online. And there were people, there was like 30, 40 people like watching online, live. You know, so they took that that preference. Look, uh, I, I get it. I mean, I, I run a YouTube channel, this is Night Academy, I get it. And the, that convenience is there. <clears throat> My fear is just that people may think that they can replace the real thing with this with this uh, substitute. It's not a substitute, it's not a replacement. It's like supplementary, man. It should be looked at as, look, without this, we'd have nothing. So at least you've got something for those times where we would other, mm. otherwise maybe go and watch a movie or um, you know play, play a game or something. We've got good material that we can podcast. We've got uh, um, background beneficial stuff, but it's not a replacement. That what Mona Zakaria just explained now is a real phenomenon. Uh, there's ilmun nubuwa and there's nurun nubuwa, and the one the one can't get transferred, in my humble opinion, it can't get transferred through through any medium other than min al qalb ilal qulub, from the heart to the hearts, and that's a reality that we have to that we have to kind of understand and and, and come to terms with. But what's the way forward? I think we're still going to have online. <laughs> we're still probably going to have an online class. But no, the thing I, is... But I just yeah. said, no, it's, it's essential. In the time yeah. that we're living in, you can't But my encouragement, my encouragement will, I think, will always remain. Mm. Be, be present here. That difficulty of getting out of the bed. and Look, when it was in COVID and I could just uh, jump up, mm. you know... You're still wearing your pajamas, nah, just nah, throw nah, a throw nah, on. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get ready very quickly, not have to drive, whatever. You know, you're in the comfort of home. It, it has to spoil. No. Just for the teacher like it would have for the students. Mm. But that, you know, that specialness mm. of getting up, going out on the path mm. to seek that alien, mm. it doesn't no. compare, man. I mean, we have students now that uh, we've been teaching for two years that we've never seen. Well, Yeah, because yeah, they've been online for two years. We've never seen them. In Thank fact, the, the one brother came to the masjid Normally, you know at Eastman, lots of people like know you in, yeah, in yeah. the public, and then when they when they when they greet you, then they ask you, like, do you know, do you remember me?" Man? Mm. So, so, so my normal like the worst thing. My, my normal think. response is like, "You look familiar, but you know, I can't place you exactly." Man. And so I told him, like, no, "You look familiar, but I can't place you exactly." Man. I was being polite. He said, "No, no, you, you didn't see me before. I'm an online student." <laughs> <laughs> so he caught me out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, it's like the people don't do that. Don't do that to the ulama. They meet like a lot of people, and uh, sometimes it's like a once-off thing. And and it's not that you're not special. It's just that it's too many names and faces and people and encounters to actually remember. Just be kind and say, remember that time when we when we. And then you continue with the story and make it easy for the person. Yeah, I think that would be the more polite thing to I do. I just think some of the pious people. You know, the first time. When I met Mulatta at Madrasa, he, he really knew my name. Mm. Me also, yeah. 
And how much people that guy must have been meeting so He made guy of me the first time. He, mm. he just told me like, "Are you Irshad?" I was like, "Oh my god, what did I do?" <laughs> and anyway, um, yeah, but I mean, it's definitely a problem, and 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 it's difficult because you turn off the online. Yeah, so, because so, the online doesn't become a backup; it becomes a default. Yeah, yeah. for most students, and, and it's, it's it's I encourage the students to come all the time, mm. but uh, yeah. it's 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 tough when when you realize that. Look, number one. You don't have to. You don't have to leave that early. Number two, you don't have to worry about what you're wearing, right? Especially for the student because the cameras are going to be off. Um, I actually think that's one of the things teachers should insist upon that everybody's camera is on. That they sit as a student would sit, and they have, you know, they are dressed as a student would be dressed. But anyway, they don't have to come early. They don't have to worry about traffic. They don't have to put their lives at risk because we do live in Cape Town, South Africa. We it's a genuine concern. Uh, they don't no, have. No, no, we are like at eight, almost eight in the morning, man. Yeah, it's still. Have you people get get mugged at yeah, seven? No, no problems. The there's no problem. There. <laughs> and then, and then on top of it, uh, it's if I can't make it now, I can make it later. I can do it while I'm driving. I can do it on the way to work on Monday morning. I can always catch up. All of that might be true in your mind, but I think inevitably what happens is procrastination sets in, and you belittle the event. Uh, you don't give it its due hack, and therefore you don't receive what you're supposed to receive from it. And um, once you get into that, into that, I'll do it later. It's like the people who never visited Cape Town, but they've been living. They never visited uh, Table Mountain, but they've been living in Cape Town for all their lives because it's there. If they decided they're going to go tomorrow, they can go. People who come here from overseas, they they come here once, maybe for a week, and they visit all the places. Why? Because it's it's a rare opportunity, so they understand the value they're in. How do you overcome that? And then the last thing, if I don't want to listen to Monana Zakaria Anika, then I can listen to Sheikh so and so from North America, or I can listen to Sheikh so and so from you know we our people for some reason they become very infatuated with people with Western accents, so North American accents, uh, Canadian accents, British accents. But then the North Americans get used to teach them, and then yeah. they do. <laughs> <laughs> but but how do we overcome this? Because it's a yeah. genuine, it's a genuine concern. Also, I think maybe also it's 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 part of the 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 influence of the modern world is that everything is is reduced to its utility, mm. and then people imagine a lesson to be. A set of information being conveyed, no. and that's the end of it. No, it has utility. I've got the information. I've achieved the goal, and the entire kind of unseen dimension, spiritual dimension, is completely. Uh, there's no consideration given, a little consideration given to it, hmm. and uh, arguably, uh, that can sometimes be more have greater, more profound effect than hmm. the actual information, hmm. and uh, it's almost like listening to a dikr on YouTube. No, like in, like if you in the masjid listen to a dhikr and you listen to a dhikr on YouTube, it's like it's the same sounds, mm. Mm. but it's 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 worlds apart. And and I think that 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 fundamentally we believe in the unseen. No, we believe exactly. that when you enter into a a masjid, there there there, there is blessings, there's rahmah, there's mm. barakah. When you enter into a lesson of Quran, mm. there are angels, there's sakina, there's mm. there's rahmah, and. Uh, I think that for those that can make it, they shouldn't deprive themselves of those fundamentals. No, absolutely. Because the information, as you say, is available anyway. No. But it's not about the, the information. It's about the process. It's about the journey. It's about this. This is part of the sirat. No. no. Uh, the one, Sheikh Amjad, Sheikh Amjad Rashid, I had to translate uh, nasiha that he gave. 
uh, Sheikh Faraz asked him a question, and the question is basically like uh, a student who wants to 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 gain to gain a mastery in fiqh. What should they do? Like, what's the step by step process that they should follow? Man, and he responded in the same way that that uh, the scholars in Turkey responded when we were there, like Sheikh Muhammad Salih Al Horsi. You know, the, the the type of nasiha that they gave in that one program. I think it was like the end of the the sessions. Um, the first thing is, uh, you know, to 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 make mulazama of the of the shuyukhman. Like, you this this tradition is a tradition of taking from teachers, from people. It always has been. It was it was it was uh, institutionalized with Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who who Allah Taala taught in that way. He could have done it in any way. It could have been kun fayakun. But he chose send him a teacher, give him a process, you know, have this talaqi. And this this system of talaqi, like uh, transferring of ilm from teacher to student, uh, is, is something that if we don't, I think if we don't emphasize enough, we're going to lose out uh, tremendously because it, it's completely foreign to our to our people and our communities. And, and that's also in the Fatiha as well? No. No, Siratullah Dina Amta Alayim. Allah defines the path not by the content but by the carrier. Mm. So, so you have to walk behind the previous carrier, mm. and 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 that's how the path is defined. The Allah could have defined in terms of salah or iman, you know, siratul mm. iman or any of those. Allah chose not to define mm. any content when describing the path, and only describe only describe people. Mm. And and I and I think that that in again in our current world is like this like intense loneliness and isolation and disconnectedness and it results in a whole host of psychological issues and problems mm. and it's just the fact that people are not spending time with good people oh. and just spending time with good people is like half the solution to humanity's problems mm. uh, but we take it for granted that that's something easy to do to find good people no, <laughs> no, no, for I mean, us, that's what we're saying no, the think, space is the no. come to the cross so, so for, for for our for our own families and and our circles of friends and so on, for us it's like, it's a it's a gift that we that we take advantage of because, it, uh, mashallah, we've got good people, right in our, in our circle of friends and so on, ulama friends and so on, but for many people, in our communities and everywhere in the world, uh, access to scholars, access to ulama, access to students of deen, is extremely extremely rare. Um, and I, I'm, say, I'm saying this like on an international level, man. Except like, Cape Town. Yeah, except Cape Town. Yeah. Cape Town is very much an exception to that. I think in Cape Town, if somebody doesn't have access to an alim, hmm. uh, or feels that there's no alim that's approachable, they're actually the problem. Definitely. Because at every turn of the corner, there is a super chilled out alim hmm. that will be willing to help you with whatever you need help. No, absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, like, uh, obviously, as teachers, like, like, we would struggle to to hold ourselves as good people, even mm. or carriers of light. And for me, it's the, the gathering is is the nur, mm. because everybody comes to the gathering with some nur, and it's that collective light, mm. and the content is the Quran, the Sunnah, the Prophet Sallallahu so, 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 I I think that that there's this there's, there's no we're not not positioned the ulama is like you know. Don't deprive yourself of the light and the ulama on, on a pedestal. Ulama mm. are also human beings and no. with their own human human characteristics. But the gatherings themselves are gatherings of nur. Mm. 
and uh, for for me and I think I exactly feel still feel the same. We feel like we we benefit the most from the class. Yeah, we like feel like I feel inspired by my students. Tell us a bit about the the, the camps and the the IT that you guys have because it's quite profound. Um, I, I it's too much for me personally. I've had my fair share of big IT cafes. so I came and I visited and so on. But one thing that I can tell you is uh, there was a time where this was was unheard of in Cape Town. Um, you know, we're not living. We're not living in a Muslim society, right? We're living in a predominantly non-Muslim society. We are the minority, but again, Cape Town is very different in this regard. So we can have a program freely at a masjid where hundreds of people are sleeping uh, in the mosque. You know, we can announce it, we can advertise it, etc. We're not limited with what we speak about and so on and so forth. So we have this at our disposal. So you guys have have had that. Uh, we. In before, when we had even something uh, half the size of it or quarter of the size, it was phenomenal. Like I remember Mona Khalil and I, we were at uh, Mona Abdul Hafid Maki, Rahimullah's Atikaf uh, in Parkwood way back, I think it was 20 years ago or something. And subhanAllah, it was like life changing. wasn't 20 years ago, Mona, please, that's exaggeration. No, I don't think so. It could have been. It was in 2007, I think, 6 7. It's yeah. almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you make me feel old now. That I'm not sure, but that might have been one of the first big etikas with a structured program in Cape Town. No, possibly. Because I think that that was even if they unique. were, if they were before, then it might have been with the Jamaatu Tablir uh, programs, right? Yes, Which yes, is yes, obviously yes. very specialized. I'm not discounting it anything, but it's very specialized, and not it's not like everybody would go there. And also, it has the, they have their own culture and, and, and flavor. But with Malam Hafiz Maki, they're in a tasawwuf-based type of etikaf. Uh, so now, it's it's kind of become really big. Mizan had how many people? I think about 120 or so. No, subhanAllah. And that was, that's in one Ramadan <laughs> at one masjid. It's not even a very big mosque. Just tell us a bit about uh, what goes on there. I mean, okay, it's etikaf, it's at the masjid, it's 10 days. But just give us a sense of what people actually uh, achieve and live with at these uh, programs. So, so I think that that uh, like 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 what, or, or one question that I always have with regard to people growing up is that: Do you ever have the chance for an authentic spiritual experience, mm. like where you can be moved by the remembrance of Allah, where you can weep for Allah, like? And if you went to a normal high school, went to university, went to the workplace, you might not have ever had that opportunity like to genuinely be moved mm. uh, in a gathering. So I think that uh, from a, uh, an objective point of view, the objective is an experience mm. as opposed to like classes. There's all the components, but the, uh, the objective is that the heart is, is moved by that immersion mm. in remembrance collective remembrance, salah, fasting, lessons. So in terms of the the the, the program, I can just uh, describe the program, a typical day, it's quite a long day. The program, subhanAllah, it starts from, well, the day starts at Maghrib. So there's breaking of the fast together, uh, sharing with each other there, performing Maghrib salah, then usually between Maghrib and Aisha, it is supper time. And then Aisha Salah, Taraweeh. Um, after the Taraweeh, there's a short talk perhaps. Um, and then they have a bit of a break. 
and they have a tafsir class um, again uh, selected suwar or ayat chosen every night to have a, a, a detailed a somewhat detailed uh, tafsir uh, after the tafsir class there's some adhkar um, that are uh, recited there's a collective dhikr and then there's a dua Mullah um, Khalil usually does the dua uh, so it's a combination of Arabic and English as well. Um, in trying to, you know, create that spiritual experience. Mm. Not only for everybody else, but, for, you know, for yourself as well. Because you understand what you're saying. Mm. And when you're understanding what you're saying, you're feeling what you're saying. Mm. Um, so it's a very uh, moving dua every night. Then on the odd nights we have, uh, so that may take you up until maybe 11 o'clock midnight. Um and then after that, maybe people will sit around, maybe chat a bit or something like that, and head off to bed, sleep. The, 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 the image that I built up in my mind from your description now is like a super pious, like, look, I wouldn't even think of attending such a gathering. But the reality is, when you come in there, the one thing that you notice is that the kids are having fun, yeah. good, clean fun. Uh, there's a coffee there's a coffee trailer outside, right? Um <laughs> People are sleeping. Look, uh, it's not about it's not about laziness or anything like that, but the the sleep schedule is topsy turvy. So people might be sleeping like until dhuhr, for example, and somebody yeah. else might think, okay, these people are waking up. They don't know what they did last and, night. And I think also it's important to note that it's ordinary people that are coming yeah. to them. So yeah. it's not like if you are not on a high level of spiritual practice, I don't make the hajj every night yeah. or whatever. Uh, that's not that's not what everybody there is about. I think through the days people pick up because mm. of the, the you know being charged by the environment and no. and the experience, <clears throat> but uh, the class is optional. Nobody sits there and says mm. you have to be here, you have to be there. Uh, so so that takes place at night, and then on the odd nights we have a short qiyamul mm. uh, program, um, and then you know that takes us sleep a little bit more. Maybe some people might not wake up for that, and then we have our suhoor together, fajr. Class after Fajr, and then you know the type of things that 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 we have have sort of been part of the normalization of, right? I'm not saying we institutionalized it, we made it normal, but we've been part of it. Like we started attending the very first ones and so on. We need to be so grateful for that, and people also need to realize how how grateful they need to be for the the opportunities, the environments, yeah. the culture. Because 50, 60, 70 years ago, this was impossible except for people who went overseas and spent like mm. months there and that was very very difficult for people to do uh, there was no other uh, the closest you can get to to that type of environment is to go overseas um, so now by recreating these things at our, our doorsteps the idea is we, we're just trying to help one another uh, live righteous lives and live good lives and die good deaths and meet Allah in good states so it's not as hardcore as it may seem. Okay. We, we also start to give people like a spectrum of Islamic studies. No. So after Fajr, you'll do a bit of fiqh, and then after Dhuhr, you may do uh, some ahadith. Okay, after so it's Asr, like structured. In the evening, some Quran. Yeah. Um, but I think also just in terms of what concerns me sometimes is that as the community becomes more diversified, mm. then we start having sub-identities. Mm. And then you get, okay, you guys are the practicing Muslims, we the not so practicing Muslims. And, mm. and, and, and I think one of my concerns personally 
is that it's even a concern for me for Mizan itself is that is are our spaces open enough for any Muslim to walk in mm. no matter where they are in the journey mm. because in from an idea from from like let's call it the Mizan ideal where I would like Mizan to be it must be so comfortable that you can walk in there as a Muslim even a non-Muslim and feel comfortable in the space and comfortable to ask your questions and comfortable to participate. You know, you're at, in the at, wrong place for that, right? The no, masjid is exactly so that. These, these are part of, the, part of the challenge we have. There's no third spaces that we, we've created. Right. But uh, we, 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 have to, we have to open the doors of guidance without preconditions mm. because that is where guidance is found. Mm. And, 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 I think, and I think for the listeners, uh, yes, in the masjid, but the atmosphere is very uh, accommodating and easy and we've had a diverse, uh, we have diverse students. Mm with diverse ideology they, they come with the ideologies and, and we try to let's say we, we try to find a middle ground mm. in in the Quran and by extension the Prophet wasallam in the fundamental messages mm. and that's the, the beginning and then from there the, the, the journey continues but, but I think just that, that, that we have to make our spaces more accessible mm. for, for our diverse Muslim community mm. I've noticed uh, when we have programs at perhaps a school hall or a hall that's adjacent to a masjid even um, or, or some completely corporate you know, type of environment, maybe old mutual or something like that. When we have it at places like this, then I see that there are people who I would never see at, at other you know, more traditional type of settings. Women would perhaps come with without fully uh, covering the, the aura or the hijab might not you know, meet the uh, strict salary requirements or something of that nature. But they're there. They were looking for guidance and the space mm. was right for them, so they came. Allah knows best. Uh, what's the way forward for, for Mizan? You guys planning on having an open day? I believe you had you had uh, plans for next year's syllabus changing. Um, how can people join? Is it is it something that's still open for people to join? When is there an open day? Tell us more about the way forward, inshallah. So I think at Mizan, uh, registration never closes. Uh, people join at any time uh, during the year or, and so on. So I think that uh, probably the easiest point is to go to the website, uh, Mizan, M-I-Z-A-N.co.za and uh, read the course information there. And I think, uh, I don't know if we're having a specific open day, we might have one, but I think every Sunday is an open day. Hmm. So everyone wants to come and, and check it out and sit in the class. No, I, think you should, I think you should actually have uh, a specific one, you know, because the reason I'm saying that is I found, look here, every mosque is an open mosque. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? But until until you somebody, you, you know what I mean? Until yes. we actually called it an open mosque or an open day, then, you know, yes, people so I, thought I, it I, we, we normally do have an open day pre-COVID, so we might reintroduce the open day again. Um, so I think definitely that, that all of those information will be released soon mm. but next year will be a different program so next year will be uh, first year for those who have no Arabic background mm. uh, once start the basics second year um, for those who have an Arabic background maybe you've done two year course you want to get into some like in-depth studies or revision and so on and then third to f- third we're also planning to to take those Torah courses, which will be like Fiqh and Aqidah and Mustalah and Usul and all the sciences, mm. and also offer them as module courses. Mm. So you can just join for a particular module. You're right. If that appeals to you and and so on. So that will be the change next year. Nice. And uh, in terms of in terms of the, the type of culture that I spoke about that you've recreated very, very successful at, successfully at uh, Kudri, 
Do you have the same type of vibe going on at Mizan? Can people come and they have some dhikrs happening before classes, dua, spirituality? Uh, the challenge is always time because you're sitting with like two, three hours. You see these people once a week. You need to get through so much. Uh, but do you manage to, to, to sort of interweave that into the tradition as well? So I think we, we generally keep the Sunday class purely ilmi, mm. uh, knowledge-based. Uh, also that accommodates a more diverse audience because not everybody's comfortable with all sorts of things and all yeah. sorts of practices and so on. So we keep it very, that's like a, a space everybody can join. Mm. And then our more adhkar and du'as, we, we do it in the qiyamulayls, the camps, uh, and the etikaf programs and so on. So they get it there, uh, basically. But but we, we, we do pres- uh, provide like a very basic spiritual framework, mm. like some morning du'as and morning practices and daily practices and so on. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask Mona Zakaria your closing thoughts and du'as and uh, message to, to those watching, especially people who I always I always want to you know touch on this people who never think of themselves as being the addressee. Yeah. You know, it's like oh that's interesting for that people and I'm glad that's happening there. Yeah. Look, I, I, you know I don't know if this is closing thoughts or what, but um, in terms of the audience, we have a very diverse audience. It's mm. like not just. Salih people, whatever, uh, university students, people with questions, people with doubts, people. Mm. Sometimes, like there's this people there that I'm even surprised to see, uh, you know, maybe guys that were at school, university at the same time. You're so judgerah. Yeah? Not, not in a judgerah <laughs> moment, it's just that, <laughs> look, I mean, I never thought I would be there. Yeah. So uh, it's, not a, it's not a judgment, but it's open to everyone. And no. It's very comfortable. Nobody's there to judge you, actually. No. Um, nobody's there to question why you there, whatever the case may be. Uh, so, so my, you know, my advice to people, my message to people is, um, you know, take a step in there. Take a step into the space. You don't know what path will open up in front of you. Mm. If you wait to know the whole path before that, you might never start journey. And uh, our message has always been, you know, taken from that statement of Imam Shafi'i. Uh, you know come to Allah limping and broken don't wait for perfection because that's a futile mm. activity so come come limping come broken it's fine mm. I was just a caravan of hope yeah, yeah. subhanallah if, if I if I had to allow my inability to recite Quran mm. stop me I would never have attended first year Darun Naim yeah subhanallah I, I couldn't batcha like I was, I put myself in the Quran. I think I, I never actually, you know, went through mm. a process. And Alhamdulillah, just from you know persevering through it. And yeah, and, and if you don't, if you don't come into the space, man, mm. you'll never know what you are missing out on in the world. No. no. So, so don't deprive yourself. And Malna Khalil, your closing uh, message. I think that m- most listeners would have gone to um, afternoon madrasa. Mm. Uh, in primary school mm. I mean those are not part of the studies now mm. your average Muslim has gone to madrasa and they ended when they were 12 or 13 years old mm. well now that was your generation what happened after that nowadays I don't, I don't even know if youngsters go to madrasa anymore after the madrasa maybe they go to Saturday madrasa Sunday madrasa but well, what I'm saying is they know maybe Arkan al-Iman Arkan islam they can read a few surahs um, Islam has the answer for every problem mm. and there's the answers for people's individual problems mm. there's macro answers but it also has a micro answer for you mm. specifically 
with whatever difficulty you have as a listener, Islam has the answer. And it has an answer on a simple level. It has an answer on a complex level. It has a tradition that uh, that that there is no rival to. And to feel that, to see that, to, the, to experience that, uh, you have to join one of these circles. Hmm. And I'm not saying you have to join Mizan, join any circle that appeals to you where there are scholars who have uh, a chain of connectedness to the Prophet wasallam, and you will discover that it is actually life-changing. Hmm. And, and, I, and I think it's not like a, a value add, and I don't think, I, I think also one, is, I think one important closing thought for me is that 50 years ago, 40 years ago, if you did not attend any class, you could be a good practicing Muslim because society still carried you. <laughs> the flow of society still carried you mm. because you lived in a Muslim community with an imam and the basic morality was in place. Mm. Society is literally carrying people towards hellfire. Yes, I know. And, and studying and knowledge now is not no longer, for 50 years ago it was enrichment. Yeah. You know, those people doing studies 50 years ago, they were enriching themselves, yeah, yeah. but there was a whole Muslim community intact. Studying now is not for enrichment. It is not for inspiration. It is not a hobby. It is critical to the survival of your faith. Mm. You, you, it's it's uh, and this is the time that we uh, we 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 live in and the, the prophetic hadith is, that, is hadith is that there will come a time when someone will be yusbih mu'minan wa kafiran that he will wake up as a believer in the morning and he will go to bed as a disbeliever mm. meaning that rapid change from I had a faith and now I've lost my faith mm. and the makhraj to that in the hadith contains as well is only only by in. So 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 these courses in their collective, wherever they are, they are not optional, they're not inspirational. They are essential to mm. the survival of people's iman and for their own sanity. Mm. Because besides the akhirah, even in this dunya, you can't live without faith. You will you will lose your mind. Mm. And I think this is uh, the appeal is that the answers are there. Just bismillah. I want to add my own uh, two cents into the plate as well. As a final thought, you know, the importance of of being part of in-person learning. Uh, again, I want to encourage you, don't don't fall into the trap of this consumerism culture of Islamic studies, right? There's no problem with watching videos on YouTube and uh, listening to lectures and so on and so forth. But there's a huge difference between structured learning. This is... Uh, this is the Rabbani Yin Kunu Rabbani that Allah speaks about in the Quran. Structured learning is taking min ilm qabla kibarihi. Taking of the, the small knowledge, the basic fundamental axiomatic principles of knowledge and then moving up gradually to the more complex things. Uh, when somebody in the past went to the Imam and they asked the Imam about um, you know, Mathan, uh, Imam, what, what madhab did the Prophet follow? You know, a question like that. And then the imam would say, sorry, Buddha, this is what you're asking me now. It's far beyond you. Come to the class on Mondays. You first learn how to bacha. Because the, the, the path was in the control of the master, not in the control of the student. Right? The, master, the master knows better than the student. The student, uh, it's like you know, a kid in a candy store. It's just going to take from anywhere, from everywhere. Thinking that he's walking away with, with the ilm. 
No, you're walking away with information. I miss something far more complete than that. And there's a system. Uh, so I don't, and I'm saying this from, from the perspective of somebody who really uses, or I think I use technology uh, to 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 much greater extent than the average person would. I think so. And uh, I, I see it as a beneficial medium. So I'm not downing the medium, but I'm saying never ever can we think that this will replace uh, real, real uh, knowledge and talaqi, you know, taking and transferring that knowledge. Barakallahu feekum. I thank my guests. I thank you for, for watching and participating and listening. And I'm going to ask uh, my guests to conclude with dua, inshallah. Bismillah. Fadalu. Fatiha. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-mursaleen. Sayyidina wa habibina maulana Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa sahabi ajma'een. Ya Allah, ya Rahman, ya Rahim. Ya Allah, we ask Ya Allah to guide us, all of us, Ya Allah, and to guide our community, Ya Allah. We ask Ya Allah that you be uh, under your protection and under your blessings, Ya Allah. We ask Ya Allah to guide our ulama, Ya Allah, to unite their hearts for your sake, to grant the ulama ikhlas and grant the ulama istiqama. We ask Ya Allah that this community, Ya Allah, realizes the value of Islam, the value of your Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the value of your holy book, Ya Allah. We ask, Ya Allah, that our masajid and our madrasas are filled Amen. with learners seeking your way, seeking the way of of your beloveds, Ya Allah. We ask, Ya Allah, to join us with the salihin, Ya Allah. Amen. Join us with your friends, Ya Allah, Ya Latif. We ask, Ya Allah, to bring ease where there is difficulty, mm. to respond to all the duas, all the callings, all the problems, Ya Allah. We ask, Ya Allah, to make Islam strong again, Ya Allah. Make Islam a noor again, Ya Allah. Make Islam rise again, Ya Allah, Ya Latif. We ask, Ya Allah, to protect our youth, Ya Allah, and guide our youth, Ya Allah, Ya Latif. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi barik wa sallim. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen, ya rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.